Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. The book of Ezra um, sits at a very interesting point in the Old Testament. It comes after Chronicles and it continues a lot of the history that we've been reading about. If you've been following the plan, it would have been a few months ago now um, in Kings and the history in Chronicles that is yet to come. Um, and um, I don't know about you, but when I watched the videos that we watched earlier for the first time, um, my heart kind of fell um, because, ah, oh, we've got all these anticlimaxes scattered through um, this book. Um, where's the hope? How do I come out of this story with hope to keep going today, tomorrow, this week, next week? the rest of the years of my life. Um, and um, I think part of the answer is that if we look too closely at some of the details, we miss some of the beauty of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So what I want to try and do um, in the time I've got tonight is to look back um, before Ezra, remind us of some of the history that brought us to the point of the book, um, consider the story of Ezra a little bit, and look forward. Um, so start by looking back. I've already mentioned it sits at this point of history. Um, and it's the history, the story of Israel. Um, and the name of the people of Israel comes from the person of Israel, who, is, who was born with the name of Jacob. Um, he was the grandson of Abraham, who was one of the receivers of the covenant of God. Um, and his descendants, he and, he and his his kind of children and grandchildren, they move to Egypt because there's a famine in the land that they're living in and they end up becoming slaves in that land. And Moses ends up having to lead the descendants of this people out of Egypt, across the sea. And there's this, this story of Exodus away from Egypt into a promised land, a land that had been promised to Abraham. And part of that story, um, part of the story of Moses, is the things that God speaks to Moses about. Um, and part of that is, is told in Leviticus 26, um, which is just such... Um, part of it is beautiful, part of it is terrifying. Um, and there's this kind of duality of blessing and curse with this covenant promise. There is blessing of what good things can come of people living in, in accordance, in, in faithfulness to the covenant that, that God has already made and is calling Israel to respond to. So if we just skim through some of the, these early promises in Leviticus 26, um, there are commandments, um, you shall not keep idols for yourself, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their seasons, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the fields shall yield their fruit. I will give peace in the land. I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and I love this bit. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. If you haven't got the picture yet, this is not just a promise of provision. This is not just a promise of protection or of bringing people into a land that's been promised. This is a promise of abundance. 
an overflowing abundance. Five people shall chase a hundred. It goes on and uh, for the sake of time, because I've got too much material to go through, because there's always too much material to go through when there's the Bible involved. Um, I'm going to skip a bit. Um, But God promises himself at the end He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. He's given freedom to this people. He's promising abundance. And that's that's the heart of this covenant. He, He has chosen this people. He's brought them out of slavery into freedom. And he's asking them to to live with him. It's a relationship. It's a joy. And there's great provision, but of course there is the curse. So we move on um, to, uh, I mean, I'm not going to read all of it. It's a long chapter, but if we skip ahead to verse, from verse 27, um, there's kind of this refrain as you read through the chapter, um, if you will not listen to me, if you walk contrary to me, then consequences. And it's, it kind of climaxes in verse, from verse 27. Um, But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. I will lay your cities waste. I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. I'm not here to give a sermon on Leviticus. I promise I will get back to Ezra. But this covenant is at the heart of the promise of Ezra. Um, and this, this blessing curse, it's not that there's a promise of reward if obedience and promise of punishment if, if they're not obedient. This is the nature of the covenant, the covenant that God has already promised. And he's saying, look, come into this covenant. This is what I, I have on offer. If you don't, this is what will happen. He's stating fact. And as we skip through the rest of Israel's history, we've already read it in Kings. We will read it again in Chronicles if you're following the plan. If you hadn't, haven't, read Judges just to see the pattern of how Israel keeps falling away and he has to keep rescuing them because he does. He keeps rescuing them. But they keep turning away and so this, this curse happens. They are driven from their land first Assyria comes and invades the northern kingdom. Then Babylon comes and invades Jerusalem. The temple is ransacked. It's destroyed. The people are led off into exile. And they are left asking, where is God? The temple, the place that they met with God, the place that they worshipped has been destroyed. But there's one last promise in Leviticus verses 40 through 45-ish, thereabouts. If they confess their iniquity and their uncircumcised heart, back one slide, is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity when they are in the land of their enemies. So this is a promise. All the way back with Moses of what they can do when they are in exile. They make amends for their iniquity. When they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. But if, for I am the Lord their God, but I will, for, 
For their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. It always comes back to a promise of who God is. And that is the story of Ezra. Who is God? He is faithful. He promised that there would be exile if the people didn't live in covenant with him, but he promised that he would bring them back. And that's what he does. He brings them back. And just pause for a moment before I go back to Ezra. Ezra, the book was written. Okay, just, just that alone is testament to the fact that this has happened and that God has been faithful to his word, that God is faithful to his promise. And we trust that God, who was faithful, is faithful and will be faithful. So let's look at Ezra. Um, there's so much to say, um, and I, I mostly just want to focus on that episode right at the end, that second of the, the anti-climaxes that we, we heard about earlier. Um, there's this episode that Ezra is told about of how the people that have, have come back out of exile, back to this, this land that had been promised, and they've, they've married foreign women. What is the big deal? I mean, some of them may even have been Israelites or have been descended from Israelites, the people that were left in the land. So what is the big deal? Um, well, as we see in Ezra 6, verse 21 especially, it, it wasn't that they were foreign. It wasn't that they were foreigners. That's not the, the problem because anyone was welcome to join in with this Passover. The condition of joining in with the Passover was that they had separated themselves from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. The problem isn't that these women are foreign. The problem is that they likely haven't turned away from their own, their old religious beliefs. They are trying to enter into covenant with the God of Israel, but they're not, they're not living the covenant. They're not living faithful to the covenant promise. And what's worse is that all the way back in Deuteronomy, God warns them that marrying people from the lands, that the people that had been living in those promised lands, they turn Israel away from God. In Deuteronomy 7, that's where at least one of the places where there's a, a warning against marrying the, uh, the women of the foreign lands. It says, you shall make no covenant with them. Um, speaking of the nations in particular, and show no mercy to them when you're invading, when you're taking over this promised land. Um, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. It all comes back to this issue of the heart. Where is the heart of the people? And this is one of the rare commands in Deuteronomy, that actually explains why it's important, because not all of them do. Some of them, you just get no context, and we don't understand them to this day. But this one, we're, we're told why, and it goes on in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, 
It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Breathe in. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. It goes hand in hand. And like I said before, it's not about obedience, punishment. It's about the very nature of what covenant is. God has entered into covenant and he's calling his people to him. So why is this a big deal that, that the people who have returned to Jerusalem are marrying foreign women? It's because the very thing that led to them being driven out, they haven't learned from it. They're doing the same thing again. They've come back and within 50, 100 years, they're already repeating the same mistakes. And I don't know about you, but I don't need 50 or 100 years to repeat the same mistakes. In fact, I can probably repeat the same mistakes several times within a single day. So this isn't just their story, this is our story. God has made his promise and he has invited us in. So how does Ezra react to learning this? Um, He tells us in Ezra 9, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. And now, O oh our God, what shall we say after this? This is a corporate confession. One person praying on behalf of the people. It's not about condemning any one individual. It's not about, it's not about any one of them having done wrong and beating them up and picking on them. God has brought them back to the land that he promised to give them and they've turned away. And, and they need to recognize how serious this is, for one thing. How important it is that, that God loves them, has chosen them, has called them to be his special people on the midst of the earth. The covenant promised to Abraham was that he would be blessed and through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's not an exclusive promise. But it has to come on God's terms because he's the one who made that promise. 
Our sin is not a small thing. And if there were a list of everyone who has ever sinned, we would be on that list. Romans 3 tells us as much. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we too have a warning of what the consequences of our sin will be. The wages of sin is death. And this isn't necessarily just physical death. This is death that is a separation from the very source of life itself, God. God is our life. If we are separated from him, we are dead, even though we are alive. Before I go on, I just want to remind everyone that I'm preaching, first of all, to myself. I need to hear this message. If anyone else in this room hears something from the message I speak, I will be overjoyed, but I am preaching this to myself first. So please, whatever you do, do not think that I am condemning anyone. But this isn't the end of the story. How does Ezra respond? He goes away, he fasts, he prays. And then there is a suggestion how the people can respond, how they can turn away, how they can do something differently, how they can do something better. In this specific instance, it's to put away these foreign women and we're given a list of names. I don't know if the specific details are necessarily that important to us. And we have our own set of instructions as advised by Paul as to how to handle relationships. So this isn't necessarily a command, put away foreign wives. That's not the point. Thank you. I appreciate someone laughed there. The point is that God is calling us back to him. Ezra grieved. Do we grieve? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you, you don't even really know why any of this is important. You're not in relationship with God. You don't understand why it's important that God should be the first, the first thing in our hearts. But look at the world around us. It's not okay. Our sin doesn't just impact us, it impacts the people around us. The sin of the people around us impacts the nation. The sin of the nation impacts the world. The whole of creation cries out. So Ezra grieves because it's right to grieve. But God has already promised us a way back. And that is the good news. We can confess our sins. In 1 John 1 verse 9 it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And both of those Romans verses that I kind of unfairly quoted earlier, they both go on. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is our hope. God, come to earth, born as man, lived without sin, yet accused and convicted as one with sin, crucified, died, buried, yet did not remain dead, resurrected, 
ascended victorious over sin and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. As they like to say on my course, a living man seated alive at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. How incredible is that? And God invites us into that relationship. And Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know I'm massively over time, but I want to end with one last story from Luke. Because there's a parable that Jesus tells. Um, he tells it to a Pharisee. Um, and I don't know if we can get it up on the screen because I forgot to put it in my slides. Thank you. Um, but the context to this is that he's invited to eat and an unnamed woman comes in and washes his feet with her tears and dries it with her hair. And the Pharisee named Simon asks Jesus, well, he doesn't even ask him. He just comments to the side. Does Jesus even know who this woman is? So Jesus replies with this parable. Two people owed money to a certain money lender one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I ended has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why do I want to end with this story? Well, I think it's because unless we recognize the depth of the situation we were in, the depth of the need for rescue that we were in, we can't fully appreciate the cost and the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of all our sins. new life instead of death and not just new life but the promise of eternal life to come that is the story of Ezra and that is why I think there's a very very good climax in the book of Ezra for more information about St. Saviour's please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk